Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. We're excited to continue a message series entitled Exodus. And uh, whether you've been uh, a Christian for a while, maybe you're not even a Christian in this room, but uh, you're here for the first time, uh, obviously you might have heard of the book of Exodus in the Bible. And it tells the account uh, of a promise from God uh, to his people and all the different stories that kind of go in between. There's a lot to this book, and what we've decided is to do the impossible, and that is to really kind of give the general knowledge to the book in just four weeks, which is pretty much impossible. But we're going to do our best. And last week, if you were with us, we talked specifically um, about a guy by the name of Moses, and we got into the fact that um, Moses was kind of doing his own thing, like we do our own thing, and we kind of go through life, and all of a sudden, um, God places a burning bush and grabs Moses' attention and really, really begins to transform his life. Uh, And as we tell this story, let me kind of give a a little context. Today, we're going to talk specifically about uh, Moses and Aaron and how they're going to go to Pharaoh now, and we're going to introduce Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is in charge of Egypt and he's got all of God's people and there's going to be a smackdown between the two of them and we're going to get into that um, and just talk about it. But to kind of kick things off, um, how many of you grew up with an older sibling? Raise your hand in there. Right, you're much more awake than the first service. I had to ask that question twice. Um, but if, if you grew up with an older sibling, you kind of know how this feels. Um, dinner time or breakfast time or lunch time in our family around the table, um, it was a challenge as a younger sibling. Let me kind of explain. You see, what would happen is if there was a, a food item of choice that both my brother and I enjoyed, whether it would be pizza or ice cream or yogurt or something of that matter, what would happen is, is uh, mom and dad would come and they would put the plates in front of us and we would have the equal amount of food. You remember those days where it's like, he got more yogurt than me. No, 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 stop. You got the same. You got the same. So we got the same. It was was partitioned out. And as we sat there, we would begin to eat. Well, what I didn't realize because I was younger and not as wise as my brother is my brother had a strategy. And that strategy was to eat more food than me. And the way that he accomplished this was very simple. At some point during the meal, he would distract me and I would turn my attention and then I would turn back and I would look and I would kind of scratch my head and go, I thought I had more pizza than that. And then I would, uh, after a while, I'd turn and I'd look at him and his cheeks would be like chipmunk cheeks because he would take my food and he would shove it in his mouth and, and that he would get more food. He did this all the time. So true story today, if you were to come to my house during a meal, and my wife says it all the time, she says, I look like a bear eating my food because I'm like hovering over my plate and I eat extremely fast. I mean, it's in front of me and I'm like, and the reason being is I still think like I have my older brother ready to steal my food in front of me. Well, this kind of came to a head recently. My wife and I, we went on a date night and uh, we were going for ice cream. And I just want to kind of educate the ladies just a little bit on something. Just kind of, you know, sometimes, you know, you, know, you, you, you get frustrated because you don't understand the way a guy thinks and why they show different emotions. I'm going to give you insight into a guy's head. Okay, here we go. So my wife and I, we go for ice cream. We sit there and we're looking at all the flavors. It was after dinner. And so I, I'm hungry. And so I want ice cream. So I look at my wife and I go, I said, all right, I, I know what I want. Are you going to get anything? And she looks at me and she goes, no, no, I don't think I'm going to have any. When a guy then turns a second time and says, are you sure? That are you sure is not just him being kind. That are you sure is nailing down a simple fact. Okay, I have declared openly, if you want it in writing, I'll put it, I am going to partake in ice cream. You have said no. 
And this is me doubling down to clarify that you are saying no to ice cream. Because in a second, when I get my ice cream, if you try to reach for my ice cream, you're going to pull back a nub. I'm just saying. That's really, ladies, that's what it means. So we go ahead and I get my chocolate chip ice cream and I go and I sit at the table and I'm, 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 I'm about to take my first bite. I kid you not. Jennifer looks at me and goes, ooh, that looks good. Can I have a bite? And I look at her and I go, you told me you didn't want ice cream. And she goes, I know, but it looks so good. So I did what most guys would do in that moment. I picked the mature approach. I looked at her out of frustration with the ice cream cone in my hand, and I did this. <laughs> True story. But then she went up to me because she looked at me and said, we're married. I don't care. And grabbed it. After we were done, she looked at me and she just kind of gave me that look as if to say, when are you going to grow up? I mean, really? You lick the ice cream? That's good. Really? You went to that move? And I think in our lives, I got to believe there are times when God looks at us and says, Terry, when are you going to grow up? Because I think we do this. Whether you're a Christian or not, there is a, whether you believe it or not, there is an amazing God and he has a plan for all of us. And I truly believe that amazing God looks down at us every single day. And at times he looks at Terry and says, Terry, when are you going to grow up? I mean, really, you're going to pull that move with me? I mean, don't you? I'm God. I mean, really? Grow up, Terry. Come on. And we're going to be able to pull from today's message a point in time where a lot of us are going to maybe look at that same question and say, you know what, God, it's time for me to grow up. Let me jump in. We're going to turn to the book of Exodus. You can follow along on the screen here if you're, your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads. And uh, I encourage you to take notes because there's going to be a lot of good historical information. For those of you who hate history, you can go to sleep. But for those of you who like history, you're going to get a lot of history today. Um, but in Exodus chapter 6, I want to show you something. And, and I want to just give you a quick point, And it's really, really important. So Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 and 2, God is talking to Moses and Aaron. They're side by side. He's about to send them to Pharaoh. And he's going to give them insight into what is going to happen. And take a look at this. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, hey, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. You see, when he feels the force of my strong hand, he's going to let my people go. In fact, he's going to force them to leave this land. And then God said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I am God. Now pause here for just a second. Now, again, this is, there's so much here. Two things. Number one, don't miss this. God looks at Aaron and he looks at Moses and said, hey, you're about to go to Pharaoh. And, and hey, before you even start, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. We kind of miss this, don't we? We kind of just blow by this. But watch exactly what God says. Hey, I'm going to show Pharaoh who's God. And then Pharaoh's going to go ahead and change his mind. And he's going to let my people go. In fact, he's going to force you to go. It's as if God's looking at Moses and saying, look, Moses, I know you're scared. And in your mind, that's that's." Pharaoh, and there's no way he's going to let his slaves go. I know you're thinking that, but when you get done, watch what's going to happen. Not only is he going to do that, but he's going to even tell you, get out of here. I don't want anything part of it. So it's amazing that God always has a plan. And not only that, many times in our life, he tells us, look, if you just do this, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen because he's God. The second thing, and don't miss this, he says this, I am God. Now, that gives you great insight. If you ever wondered about the 10 plagues and why the 10 plagues existed, I can promise you this. The 10 plagues were not chosen by God for parlor tricks. 
parlor tricks, old-fashioned word. If you're younger than 30, you can ask someone older than you what that means. But anyway, it's, it's much more than just parlor tricks. You see, because every single plague was to teach the Egyptian people and to remind them there is only one God, and he's the God of the Hebrews. And if you don't turn and if you don't recognize the God, bad things are going to happen. So let's continue to jump in. He says this, God follows up and says, you can be sure that I've heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians and I'm well aware of my covenant with them. Pause. If you were here last week, do you remember how we started? That God met with a guy named Abraham and what did God promise Abraham? I'm going to give you as many descendants as what? The stars in the sky? And no enemy city will ever conquer you. And so all of a sudden he looks at Moses and Aaron and said, hey, I want to remind you, I've heard the groans of my people. I know where they're at. I've not left them. And now we're going to go ahead and we're going to continue to confirm my covenant with your people. So now we fast forward and we're about to get into the smackdown between Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh. Here we go in, verse, in chapter 7. Tell Aaron everything I command you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn. Hold on to that. So I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will bring down my fist on Egypt. And I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will what? Know that I am God. Again, God gives us great insight into what's about to happen. These 10 plagues I'm about to bring on the Egyptians, it's not about me showing them how cool I am. It's one thing only, to show them that I am God. But notice what he said earlier, and I love pastors, and I'm one of them, I know. But we pastors, we have this move we make. There's many points in the Bible that Christians, if you're not a Christian, pay really close attention, lean in for a second, you're going to like this. See, as Christians, we read the, many of us read the Bible, actually not a lot of us, but some of us read the Bible. And when we read the Bible, we get to places in the Bible where we, it really doesn't match kind of what we've learned. And, and we look at something and it makes us uncomfortable. And here's what we do usually in that moment. Some of us are brave enough to ask a question, but most of us, we just do this, huh? Okay. I'm just going to move on from that because I really don't understand it. Or you know what? I really don't want to pay attention to that because it doesn't make sense. You know what? This is making me uncomfortable. And so let's not talk about this. Let's move on. And so here's what pastors do. We get to places in the Bible where it doesn't make sense and we avoid those topics. And so we teach a lot about the things that we absolutely understand and the things we don't understand. We just kind of, we ignore and we just kind of move along. Well, not today because we're going to talk about this today. Because did you notice that God said, I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart stubborn. Now in the King James Version, it actually uses this word, which is hardened. And that original word, that word hardened, that word stubborn, is a word from the original language that the people of Egypt would have understood. And I want you to hang on to that, because when we finish this message, you are going to understand the meaning of when God said, I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart stubborn, you're going to understand exactly what that means. This is called the tease in the pastoral world. It means you have to stay awake to get it, okay? Just making sure. So now, Moses and Aaron are there. He tells, Moses, he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, ten times, nine times, looks at him and says, no. He, at first he goes, oh, please tell your God to stop. Please tell your God to stop. And then he turns and says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. 
So these are the 10 plagues because we don't have the time today to go through each of them and every part of scripture associated with them because it's long. But these are the 10 plagues that God sent in Egypt. And I want you to see something very specific because they have meaning. Take a look at this. You see, the plagues were actually thrown in to go directly against the Egyptian gods of the day. And every single plague that you see up on the screen was specifically given by God to show the Egyptian people, you think you have a God? I'm going to show you. You see this part that this God is supposed to be a part of? He's not God, I'm God. In fact, if you look, blood. The first plague was blood in the Nile, that all of a sudden the Nile, which represents life and everything, all of a sudden Moses puts a staff in the water and what happens? It turns to blood. Why did he do that? It was very simple. It was in the face of the god Osiris. And the god of Osiris was the god of the Nile, the lifeline, the god of the Nile. And it was as if God said, you think you have a god and you, you respect this god and the Nile is so precious? Let me show you with just one hand what I can do. And he turned the Nile into blood. As if to say, you think the Nile is life? In one moment, I can turn the, the Nile from life to death. I am God. The second one, obviously, is frogs, the god of Hecate. The frogs were sacred and not to be killed in the land of Egypt. If you read your Bibles, you know this about the plagues. There were frogs everywhere, right? And what happened to the frogs after a few days? They all were killed. And the stench went throughout the land of Egypt. It was as if God looked and said, you think the frog is a God? You think it's the God of Hecate? Let me tell you something. I am God. He continues on with gnats. And gnats was indirectly against the God of Set, the God of the desert. Where did the gnats come from? It says in scripture that they rose up out of the what? Dust. And this was directly against that God to say, I am the author. The God of the flies, Uatet. Lord of the flies, and notice that the flies, when the flies were created and the plague was sent, who did the flies attack? Only the Egyptians. So here is the God of flies of the Egyptians attacking only the Egyptians and not the Israelites. Then you have the God of livestock, which is Hathor and Apis. This livestock, all of a sudden in the plague, when the plague struck, did the livestock of the Israelites die? No, only the Egyptians. God of health, boils, Sekvek, Sunu, and Isis, they were the God of health. Who did the boils strike only? The Egyptians. The God of hail and storm and crops, nut, set, and Osiris. All of a sudden, hail comes down and it destroys everything except that which was the Israelites. The locusts were directly against the God of the crops. Nut, set, and Osiris killed all the Egyptian crops. Then you have darkness directly against the sun god, Ra. And all of a sudden, it's as if God said, you think that Ra, the sun god, is a god? Let me show you in a second, I can turn the day into night. And then the last plague of all, which many of us read, and it was one of the most horrific plagues of all. It was directly against one of the most powerful gods in Egypt. And it was the protector of children. And the firstborn of all the Egyptians passed. But the kids of the Hebrews did not because they followed an incredible God. Now you see, and now if you were to pause here, if you're a Bible study student, now you understand there's a lot more to the 10 plagues than just a bunch of parlor tricks. God had one purpose only. He wanted to go to the Egyptian people and to Pharaoh himself and to say, I am God. And no matter what you try to do, no matter how much your heart is hardened, I am God. And my will and my plan is going to be done. And guess what that means for you and I today? There are a lot of us playing the role of Pharaoh. Here's the truth. 
That word stubborn and hardened, we're going to get more into it. But that word stubborn and hardened really speaks to what you and I do on a daily basis with God. Because isn't it true? I'll, I'll be honest. I'm going to be transparent. And if it wasn't in my notes, be transparent for you. There are times when all of a sudden, and I'll pick one thing out, where at about 8.30 in the morning as I'm driving to work, all of a sudden God will tap my heart. And if you're not a Christian, here's what this means. All of a sudden I'm driving, and out of nowhere, my heart says, you need to call your stepmother. And I sit there, and I go... You know, but God, I'm, I'm, you know, Dunkin' Donuts is right. And, you know, if I get on the phone, then I'm not going to be able to order my extra large coffee with cream and extra sugar. I'm just saying. So, God, I just, I don't have time. And, you know, and then from there, I mean, we got, I got study time, God. And, I, you know, so all of a sudden, watch what happens. God says, hey, Terry, I want you to do something. Burning bush, I want you to do something. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for others. It's going to be better for our future. And it will represent me. So here, very simple, Terry. I want you to do this. And right away, here's what I do. Uh, Let me justify. Let me think of reasons out. Let me harden my heart to what you're saying. Because God, you have my heart. But right now, I want to harden it because I don't want to do what you want me to do. Now watch what God does. He one-ups us, doesn't he? Because here's what, maybe it's just me. But in my life, so I'll go past 8.30 and I'll get to about 11 o'clock and when I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the busyness has faded away, all of a sudden God will again smack my heart and say, hey, all right, you got time now? Why don't you call your stepmother? Oh, but, but you know, I mean, right, well, you know, lunch. God, I got to prepare for lunch. I mean, lunch is going to be in an hour, but, you know, there's preparation. You know, I, I got to make sure that because the phone call, I mean, you know, I might, might go longer, might go an hour and a half and I just don't have time. And so God, so, you know, let me, let me, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think harden, 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 harden. And then how many of us in that situation go two weeks and God says, you should call your stepmother. And then the worst thing for me is a week goes by and then my wife looks and says, have you called your stepmother? Oh, no, I haven't. I haven't done it. Now take my stepmother and you insert whatever it is in your life that you are running from and avoiding from. And you are doing exactly what Pharaoh did in the hardening of a heart. And here's the definition. If you're not a Christian, here's what I kind of call this. We are placing another God before our God. God, my time is more important than me doing what you're supposed to, I'm supposed to do. God, this coffee is more important than doing what you've called me to do. God, my dinner time and preparation is more important than what you want me to do. And when we do that, we put a little G God in front of our big God. Watch this. If you're taking notes, little G God is a person or thing of supreme value. Now, we all have things that are, that are valuable. But when you put a little G God in your life, it, at the moment you are saying to God, this is supreme in my life. Nothing trumps this God. And what we're saying to God is, God, the God that I follow, if you're a Christian, you are more important than anything. You are supreme, except not in this moment. And we take little G gods and we put it in front of us. And there's an action that we do. In that moment, what we're really doing is we're showing a lack of self-control in the moment. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you say, God is awesome, he's my God. But in that moment, you don't have any self-control. In fact, the definition of self-control is this. The ability to subdue, subdue one's impulses, emotions, and behaviors in order to achieve longer-term goals. Don't miss this. It's the ability in the moment when God says, you need to do this and it's right, to say, yes, God. It's the ability in the moment not to say, yeah, but I'm pulling up the Dunkin' Donuts and that coffee's really good and I don't want to be interrupted. It's the ability in the moment to clear it out and to say, wait a second. Let me put my impulses aside. Let me put my desires aside. And let me put God where he needs to be. Now, you know what I find is ironic? And this is God's joke with me. Do you want to know what our kids are learning this month in elementary? 
If you're a parent of an elementary student, you should know this. And if you don't, I want to encourage you to lean in more to your kid's life because we have the power and the ability to be able to give you this information so every week you know what they're learning. But this week, all week long, do you know what I was learning with my son? Self-control. And this is the kid's definition, which I like better than the dictionaries. Take a look at our kid's definition of self-control. Choosing to do what you should even when you don't want to. How many of you need to just write that down and say, amen? Choosing to do what you should even when you don't want to. The message very simply for some of us in this room, depending on the category of life, is to stop putting little g-gods in front of the God. And I thought about some of the categories, and this is where I might step on some toes, but I'm going to do it. And so take a look at some of the categories. If you're a single adult in the room, if you're a college student, if you're a single adult, when you put little g in front of big g, it might look like this, putting the, relate, putting the relationship in front of a relationship. And what I mean by that is, what relationships are you putting in front of God? But God, he's really cute. And God, I'm getting older. And God, all my friends are married. And God, he at least goes to church. Some of us. God, he goes to church at least once or twice and he's got a heartbeat. And what are we doing in that moment? We're saying, but God, you're not in control. God, you don't know what's going to happen. God, you're the God of my life. But in this area, I don't trust you. And so I've got someone here and I don't want to let him go because I doubt what you can do. And so I'm going to grab onto this, which I know you're screaming into my heart. In fact, let me say this another way. If you're not a Christian in this room and you're a guy or a girl, and you are dating someone that says that they love Jesus, you need to break up with them. Hear me. If you're watching online, I want you to hear me very clearly. Let me, I'm just talking to non-Christians who are dating Christians. You need to understand this. You're going to be miserable. Because what's going to happen is you're going to date someone who is looking at you saying, you are not the center of my universe, my God is. And right now I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of not doing that. But when we get married and after a little while, I'm going to change course because God never leaves me alone. And so I'm going to want you to love the same God that I do. And non-Christian, you're going to be miserable. It's going to cause conflict. It's going to cause chaos. You don't want to do it. So non-Christians, if you're following someone who loves Jesus, now look, if they're playing Christian and they really aren't showing it, this and that, that's a whole other story. But if they love Jesus, your relationship is going to be terrible. Yes, I said it, and you can send me hate mail, but I've seen it way too many times. Don't do it. Parents, when you invest more for the moment than for the future, you put little G in front of big G. When you say as a parent, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired. No, don't bother me. No, I'm exhausted. Don't you have something to do? Go do it. Now, again, I'm not saying you give your life away for your kids. I'm not saying, in other words, that you spend all your time with your kids because they need some downtime too. But I am saying, if you don't invest your time with your kids now, you just wait when they look at you and you want their time and they say, I ain't got time for you. You're going to wish you had that time back. Students, Choosing what feels good over what is good. And last but not least, I would say this, and I had a few conversations in the hallway today about it. Seniors, investing in those before you than those after you. Here's what I mean by that. There are some of you that if you look at your friend network as senior adults, they look like you, 
They talk like you, and they're the same age as you. And I want to tell you something from my heart. If that's your social network and you don't have any other connection with anybody outside your demographic, I can promise you you're not doing what God's calling you to do. Let me tell you why. Some of you are visiting are like, man, this pastor is really bringing it down. Yes, I am. I want you to hear me. How many of you are over the age of 45? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm 44, so you all are old. But anyway, um, (laughs) but if you're over the age of 45, how many of you have said, oh, I wish I would have thought that when I was 20. I wish I would have done that when I was 20. How many of you have done that? Do you want to know why? It's because we grow up, don't we? It's because God pours in wisdom and experience and we learn. And all of a sudden, we learn to control our impulses. We have more self-control, more wisdom. And so as we get older, I won't say all of us, some of us, but as most of us get older, we have more experience and wisdom. And guess what God wants us to do with that wisdom and experience? He wants us to look at those 20-year-olds, those 10-year-olds, and he wants us to be available to them, to be able to say, hey, While I've got this moment and you're listening to me, I just want to tell you something. Listen to your parents. Because I made the same mistake that you're about to make and you don't want to make that mistake. How many teenagers need another adult in their life saying the same things that their parents want to be said? And if you're a senior adult, you've got all this wisdom and experience. And if all the people surrounding you are your age, you're blowing it. I'm just telling you. You don't want to leave this earth with all this knowledge and experience and not pour it into somebody. And now I'm going I'm to take one last thing. Some of you are there right now and I know what you're saying. But they don't want to listen to me. So what? Do you remember when you were 20? Did you want to listen to someone older than you? No. Who's wiser and who has more experience? You do. So you fight through it. You do everything you can to reach into the next generation, to pour into them so they will have a better future than you did. That's what it means to follow God's plan. Here at our church, we tell three things we want to focus on. We want to focus on our relationship with God up. And you're going to be challenged to read God's word. You're going to be challenged to growth. We're going to challenge you to build community with one another in. And what that means is this. We're going to challenge you to be a part of a neighborhood group. And now many of you in this room, I would say, what's a neighborhood group? A group that meets in your neighborhood. And why do we do that? We do that so we can talk about what God really speaks to us on a Sunday. But here's the most important part. That you build relationships in your neighborhood. And that is you have a neighbor or a friend and you say, hey, where are you going? How well, we have a group that meets in our neighborhood and we we sit and we talk about what God's doing in our life. If you ever want to come, I'd love for you to be a part. It's just very simple. And to see neighborhoods affected by what God is doing in here, it's time to get outside the walls of the church. It's time to really influence them because a church that is focused on the out, a church that is focused on a mission, which is to help people to follow Jesus, It's a church that never loses their way. But now half of you are saying, amen. Half of you are saying, but the football game's on today. And I do that too sometimes. And I want to tell you what I tell myself sometimes. Here's a question I ask myself. Terry, what are you willing to give up so that you can grow up? What are those impulses that you're hanging on to, Terry? What are those desires that you're hanging on to that are not what God wants in your life? When are you going to give that up so that I can help you to grow up? Many of us are still licking the ice cream and we need to start growing up. 
So the ten plagues happen. Pharaoh does exactly what God says. And I want you to take a look at this. Look at this in verse 31 of chapter 12. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people. Take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship God as you've requested. What did God tell Moses and Aaron in the beginning? Hey, not only is he going to let you go, but he's going to force you to leave. And that's exactly what happened. You can trust God. You can trust him. You can trust him with your life. Now, for those of you in this room, and I'm going to end with this. Right now, let me tell you spiritually what's happening. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, pay attention. If you're a Christian in this room, here's what's happening. God is speaking to your heart right now. And some of you, you're receiving and you're saying, yes, God, that's an area that I absolutely need to give up so I can grow up. There are some of you, you've gotten into a pattern where God is smacking you and you're making excuses. You're tuning out. You're pulling out your phone. You're doing everything you can to harden your heart. Now, do you know why, you want to know why God used that phrase hardened with Pharaoh? You got to understand history. There's a historical document called the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, it outlines what happens for a Pharaoh when they die. And after a Pharaoh dies, remember, Pharaohs were considered gods, which if you're a god, that means whatever you decide is godlike, which means it's supreme, which, which means there's no mistakes. Pharaohs don't make mistakes because they're gods. So when pharaohs die, here's what they believed. In order to be rebirthed as another pharaoh, they have to pass a test. This is all in the Book of the Dead. They have to pass a test. So you know when archaeologists, when they go through the temples and they go ahead and they excavate and they look at the tombs of pharaohs, you know what they find? They find pictures or sculptures of one animal all throughout. And you know what they are? Scarabs. Do you know why why they have scarabs? It's because a scarab was considered to be a god. In fact, take a look at the Book of the Dead. I'll get to Osiris in a second, but a scarab is the god Kepri, and it's the god of rebirth. So when a pharaoh dies, what does a pharaoh want to do? He wants to be reborn, what? As a pharaoh, stronger than he was before. So he knows, though, he has to pass a test. Remember I mentioned that test? And here's the test. The test is for Osiris, and Osiris is the god of the dead. And Osiris stands before the heart of Pharaoh. And it's the only the heart. Forget the body. And so what is believed is the heart of Pharaoh sits on a scale. And on the other side of the scale is a feather. And then Osiris asks the Pharaoh, do you have any regrets? In other words, did you make any mistakes as a Pharaoh, as a god? And the heart, not the body, not the mind, the heart has to speak truth. And so when Osiris asked that question, if there's anything that comes from the heart, it'll tip the scale and Pharaoh will be wiped from the universe forever. But if the heart remains silent, that means he has no regrets. That means the feather tips the scale. And that means Pharaoh will be reborn as an even more powerful Pharaoh. Now watch this, don't miss this. Do you know what they used to do to prepare the bodies of Pharaohs? Not only would they put scarabs everywhere, but they would actually cut the chest cavity of Pharaoh open it up, and they would put scarabs in the chest cavity. And here was the belief that if they put scarabs, the god of Kepri, in their heart, that it would harden the heart of Pharaoh and that the heart of Pharaoh would not be able to speak because it's hardened and therefore guaranteeing Pharaoh would have rebirth as a more powerful Pharaoh. 
The God of the universe used the language. He hardened Pharaoh's heart as if to look at Pharaoh and to say, you think there is a God of Kepri? There is not. I am God. You think there's a God of the heart? You think there's a God that actually controls you coming back and being another Pharaoh? There is not. Because I am God. You think you have a better plan or your gods have a better plan for the universe? They do not because I am God. And today God's looking into your heart. And some of you in this room are trying to harden your heart. You're trying to give it to the God of Kepri and say, harden it, harden it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want truth to be spoken. And God is pounding on your heart as if to say, you can't harden your heart because I'm the God of your heart. And I'm going to continue to chase you. And there's nothing you can do to hide from me because I love you and I want your heart. And so what are you willing to give up today so that you can grow up and have an incredible relationship with the God? Would you pray with me? God, right now, I just lift this room up to you and we're two more gathered, you are present. And God, right now, I want to speak to those that don't necessarily really call you Lord of their life. And and God, some people will call themselves Christians, but the truth is that's just a label. Those that actually have a relationship with you and every day say, God, I mess up, I know. But the truth is, is that your way is better than mine and I'm willing to give up, have self-control, the impulses and desires that I want for what you want. For those in this room that haven't done that yet, I just want to speak to your heart. Because what you're not realizing right now is every single week, if you come here, you're going through a battle. And every week, the God who is the God, who is Yahweh, is screaming into your heart. And there is a battle for your heart going on and you continue to harden it and continue to deny. And here's what I would say. The Christian life is a better life. I can promise you that. If you read the Bible, if you want to know where our laws come from, they come from the Bible. The Ten Commandments. The Christian life is a better life. That if you follow what God calls us to, you will live a better life. You'll have a better life. You'll also have afterlife. So if you're in this room and you have been battling and your heart's been hardened, it's time for you to confess He is God. For the rest of us in this room, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, a lot of us follow at different speeds. And what I would tell you is, is God wants your heart. And he's identifying right now something in your heart that you're not willing to give up. And right now it popped into your mind. And that, whatever it is, it's time for you to let go, give up so you can grow up. So God, today, right now, speak. Pound hearts. Because, Lord, I know that a heart that follows you is a heart of life. So thank you, God, for this message. Thank you for what it means to all of us. And I ask that you would receive the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.